Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you all. My name is Mark Ortis. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you after church is over. Uh, but I get the privilege of serving as the Director of Student Ministries here at Ward Church. And on behalf of all of us, again, we just want to welcome you here. We're so glad that you decided to worship with us, whether you're here in person or worshiping with us online from home or where we'd all rather be at a vacation house somewhere, which would be awesome. Invite us next time if you're, if you're there. Okay, um, this morning I want to share something with you all that I've learned in my life and, and I'm learning more and more as, as I get older and that is, and maybe you all don't know this, but I've started to realize that we live in a world of division. We're living in, you didn't know that, did you know that? Okay, you didn't know that, okay, you can, we can talk more about it after if you want. But the older I get, the more I realize how polarizing humans can be. I've seen this come out, especially in the last couple presidential elections, and those have always been polarizing, but the past few have seemed to especially bring out the anger in people. And I don't know if it was because we have social media now, so it's easier for us to share, but what I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, on my social media accounts is, man, just the claws really came out over these couple past presidential elections. I saw people, <clears throat> excuse me, who were calling each other names and tearing into each other online. I saw what you know, us in the youth ministry area, we call uh, cyberbullying, and I saw it happening, but not from teenagers, from actual grown-ups who are cutting each other down and, and tearing into each other. But the thing that really got me about it was this was coming from Christians. Christians who were tearing into each other on both sides of the aisle. Christians who were spewing hateful things about both candidates, about all these different things. And you saw this come out, especially on so social media. We saw these divisive topics just bring out the clause. Things like policies or polit politics. We saw things like race bring out a lot of derision over these past couple years, political affiliation, and a whole lot more things that all, if we're really honest with each other, should take a far back seat to the kingdom family. Now, this might just be me being naive or me being a type four on the Enneagram, but um, what, what, I've, what I've got myself asking what I've got myself wondering in this world of chaos and division is, man, is there a way? Can't we all just get along? Right? Is there a way to actually bring unity to this world? Because I think at the end of the day, that's really what we all want, right? We all want unity. We all want to live in a peaceful world. None of us want a nation divided. None of us want our neighborhoods divided. None, all of us want unity, but the thing is we all want it as long as it's unity aligning with our unique thoughts and beliefs. But the reality is, I think we could all agree as a nation, as a world, as humankind, we are defined by division. And I think in the midst of that division, there is one thing that stands strong. No matter policy changes, politics changes, family changes, all these changes, there is one foundation that never changes, and that is the kingdom of God. So we're left here wondering as Christians, um, or maybe as pre-Christians, if you haven't yet accepted God into your heart, Jesus into your heart, you might find yourself wondering like I do, what role does God's kingdom play 
in bringing unity to a divided world? Or is there even any hope that it can? Well, believe it or not, this is not a new issue. It's not unique to this generation. The world's history kind of revolves around division, whether it's political divide, division in viewpoints, division in wealth. From the beginning of time, this world has been just enveloped by division. So when Paul sits down to pen this letter to the church of Ephesus that we just read, and we're going to look at it a little bit deeper in just a couple moments here, but he's writing to a church that is dealing with division that has crept into the church of Ephesus. And, and the issues dividing the Ephesian church, sure, they were different than the division we see in the world now. But the answer was, as it always has been, the same as the answer to the division we're living in right now. So we're going to take a look at this passage, and I think this passage can be divided into three sections. See, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing to a group of Christians. Some were Jewish Christians, and some were Gentile Christians, which if you don't know what that word Gentile means, it means basically anyone who was not a Jew. That's it, and it's simplest divine. If you've never been to church, that's what that means. But in three sections, Paul writes to them, and first he reminds the believers in Ephesus who they were, and then he attempts to remind them who they are. And then he tells them who they should be becoming. So let's first take a look at when Paul is reminding them who they were. We're going to start in verse 11 today. It will be on the screens. There's also Bibles in your pews. Or if you're watching from home, you can grab your Bible, pull it up on your phone, whatever you want to do to follow along with us. But we start in verse 11 and it says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Again, to define that word Gentile, it means anyone who is not Jewish. So Paul is at this point defining his audience. See, up to this point in the Old Testament or before Jesus came, the only people who could really come into the presence of God or worship God were Jewish people because they were God's chosen. And this was, this was because of so much division that had already happened from the very first family, which we looked at a couple months ago here at Ward. But because of that, the only people who really could have that kind of closeness, God's chosen people, were Jewish people. So Paul is telling the Gentile believers who were not Jewish, right? He's telling them, don't forget where you came from. And he continues, he says, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So let's take a quick time out here. So Paul is defining his audience. And since there were Jewish, God's chosen people, don't forget, there were Jewish Christians who believed the Messiah was coming to them. But there were also, at this point, non-Jewish Christians. Jewish believers had a hard time accepting this. Because again, remember, they believed that they were God's people, not only based on faith or belief, but by birthright. So this was a division that was based around kind of ethnicity, around race, around privilege, really, of where they came from and who they really were. And as a part of God's covenant that he was talking about with God's people, a symbol of that covenant was that on the eighth day of birth, a child, a male child, would be circumcised as a sign of God's covenant with God's people. But still Gentiles, those uncircumcised heathens, right? They were not a part of that chosen people. So they were almost looked at as second-class Christians. 
almost looked at as people who, you don't really deserve this, which if we're honest, none of us deserve Jesus Christ in our hearts, amen? But he was telling them they were almost treated like they were second class, like, okay, you can come, but you'll never be one of God's chosen. And this caused a huge divide in the church at Ephesus. There were those people who believed that they deserved to be there and that no one else did. And this was causing division. So that's kind of the backdrop of the letter Paul writes to the church in Ephesus to address these issues. So we continue in verse 12, and Paul writes this, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, remember God's chosen, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. See, prior to Jesus coming, there wasn't really a way for Gentiles to be in communion with God. There wasn't really a way for them to worship God. Because of the fall and division from the very beginning, only those who were a part of God's chosen people could come into God's presence, could have communion with God. But then Jesus came and he changed everything. He changed all the rules. He came and fulfilled the law and all of the covenants and all of the promises of God in one foul swoop through his birth. And now all those who call on God's name can come into his presence because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And now all those who call on God's name can have an audience with him, including people who weren't Jewish, who weren't a part of God's chosen so, at the time of Paul's writing, again, the church was divided. We had in one corner the Jewish Christians, who were by faith and blood a part of God's chosen people, part of the original church, part of the original people to hear God's voice and get his guidance. And then on the other side, we had the Gentile Christians. Now, even saying Gentile Christians might not mean a lot to you, but this was a huge deal, and this was a huge victory for Peter and for Paul, because honestly, it very well may be the most important victory in all of human history. Because Paul, in his ministry to take the good news beyond the Jewish community, which again was possible because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to the rest of the world, he ignited a revolution that would quite literally take the gospel to the very ends of the world. But that fight was not easy. Because at the time, the church faced a vital question. Would the church be one, or would it be a church in division? Would it be a church of haves and have-nots? Would the Gentiles ever really be a part of the church, or would they always be second-class citizens? I remember when I was interviewing here at Ward, about a year ago, I had lunch with Pastor Scott and I thought, I'm going to get on his good side because I've actually heard him preach one time before. It was at uh, Each Rally, which was a big evangelical movement among the evangelical churches in Metro Detroit. And uh, so I met him and I said, yeah, man, I, I remember hearing your message. What the message was, he got up in front of a big group of people and all these churches represented church leaders and pastors. And he asked the question, do any of you know how many churches are represented here today? And people started shouting out answers, you know, 100, 200, 300. And then he had this flip chart and he flipped it and he took out a big magic marker and he wrote a big number one. And the place just erupted, right? So powerful. So I was talking to Pastor Scott and I was like, man, that was so incredible when you shared that. 
and he looked, he got like this kind of, I don't know, concerned look on his face and he goes, you know, everyone quotes that one sermon. I've said otherwise things too, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm sure you have. So all of a sudden I was like, okay, opposite effect, but that's fine. But I believe Scott's letter to the pastors those days, that day, and Paul's letter to the church in, Ephesia, in Ephesus were, were a call for unity, but beyond that, it wasn't just an encouraging nod, it was a prophetic challenge. Church, will we be the driving force of hope and unity in this world? Or will we continue to let preference and selfishness divide us from within? And by doing so, inhibit the work of God's Holy Spirit in a world that desperately needs God's Holy Spirit. Because the reality is, right now, our world is in a big way kind of living without God and without hope. Just like the Gentiles were before Jesus came for them. But just like there was hope for those Gentiles, I believe there's hope for this world too. But that's who the Gentile believers were. Before Christ, they were outcasts, they were others. They were at best a second step from all of the Jewish people, all the Jewish believers. So he reminds them where they came from, what their story was, but then he also reminds them who they are. We pick up our passage in verse 13. And Paul writes this, he says, but now, and let's not miss that but now, okay? That's who you were pre-Jesus, but now you're something new, something different. He says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the wall between Jewish and Gentile, Jesus Christ had torn down. There was no longer room for division in the church. Jesus' death and resurrection brought unity to all those who would call upon his name. And all are welcome into God's kingdom family. Jesus' death and resurrection did this, meaning we, the church, because of Jesus, can be one. And how can we be sure of this? Well, he continues that in verse 14. He says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. In other words, Jesus Christ did away with anything that would separate us from that point forward. In this moment, when Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he brought a unifying spirit to this entire world, to all those who would call upon his name. He united the church in such a powerful way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We'll continue halfway through verse 15. We pick back up and he says, He, being Jesus, made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Let me read that again. Our hostility toward each other was put to death. In verse 17, he says, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews 
who were near. And that to the far off and near was again a callback to the division that existed in the world. Jesus broke down walls through his death and resurrection. And yet so often, we as believers, intentionally or not, try to build them back up. And when we hear this, it sounds so crazy, right? Who are we to stand in the way of God's kingdom, of God's church? Who are we to cast a vision in the church of Jesus Christ that he gave his life to unite? I mean, it almost sounds silly, right? But we do this in a variety of ways. You know, sometimes we allow preference to divide us from people. And again, this isn't a new issue. This has been happening forever. As long as there are people, there will be division. But in this moment, Paul is calling the church of Ephesus, and he's calling us as well, to come back to unity, to the unity that Jesus Christ paved the way for with his death and resurrection. Imagine one day us standing before Jesus. And in the wake of eternity, Jesus says, remember that whole love your neighbor thing I told you all about before I left? The way you interacted with your neighbor didn't seem all that loving. And remember us, think about us coming back with something like, yeah, but Jesus, you don't know this guy. He voted for blank. Remember that back in, back in 2000, whatever? It sounds silly, right? In the wake of eternity, is it really worth sacrificing kingdom influence for political influence? And that's another thing we do. Sacrificing kingdom influence for earthly influence. I feel like all I really need to say here is Facebook and we can move on, you know? Careless words thrown around surrounding a racially sensitive movement. Cutting words thrown around even though we as Christians know better because we've read things like in the book of Proverbs and in the book of James and so many other places. We know the power words have to build up or to destroy. Sowing seeds of division in the kingdom to prove our rightness at the cost of our godly influence and testimony. Paul takes it one step further. He says, this is who you were, uncircumcised heathens, without God and without hope. This is who you are now, but now because of Jesus, you are sons and daughters of God, bought with the redemption given through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and resurrection. And now he gives them, he tells them where they should be going. Now he tells them what they should be becoming. This is where you should be heading. We pick up in verse 18. Paul writes this, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Friends, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ should be the driving force of unity in this world. And friends, let me tell you, do you know what happens 
When the people of God come together as one, as Jesus calls us to, as Paul calls us to, when the body of Christ unites under the resurrection of Jesus, God's power and glory are unleashed in this world. When the people of God come together in his name, the darkness trembles. But the problem is, as we all know, we have an enemy in this world. And do you know what that enemy's number one tool he uses, his number one weapon against the kingdom of God is? Division. Racial division, class division, political division, any small crack he can use to divide, he divides. See, a lot of us get confused about what the enemy's role in this world is. We think it's all about him bringing sin into this world, bringing wickedness into this world. But we all know, we already live in a fallen world. Sin and wickedness are already here. And they have been ever since the beginning of time. It's not his plan to bring wickedness. You know what his plan is? His plan is to divide because he knows that that's his only hope of stopping the movement of the church. But he also knows he's fighting an unwinnable fight. He knows how this ends because the kingdom that Jesus Christ established cannot be overcome by darkness. The enemy sows division because he knows that when the people of God come together united under the blood of Jesus Christ, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church Jesus Christ established and Paul carried the torch for is a driving force for unity in this world. It is the one hope of bringing unity and peace back in this world. And friends, it's a force that God is calling you to be a part of. He's inviting you into his kingdom so that you can be an agent of peace and unity and hope and agents of the kingdom of God. But again, yeah, that sounds great, right? But it also seems like such a pipe dream. I mean, churches can't even agree on what color the carpet should be, right? Even though we all agree this pink is gorgeous, right? Really nice, really nice. How on earth will the church of Jesus Christ ever unite? Well, I guess step one is realizing that we can't. But the good news is we don't have to because Jesus has already done the uniting through his death and resurrection. Maybe today we need to simply start by looking up. Start by looking up and, and, and maybe when we're tempted to start throwing those walls back up, we just pause and give Jesus Christ thanks for the unity and he, hope he brought to this world so long ago. Maybe when we're tempted to convince someone how much more right we are than they are, instead we take a moment to see how Jesus reaches both near and far and calls everyone into community with him if they just accept him. Maybe instead of living to promote our preferences and our kingdoms, we start seeking his kingdom first. And friends, when we're able to do that, God's power and glory will be unleashed in this world. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I wanted to give you all a couple of practical steps. Steps we can take to start bringing God's hope and unity and peace into this world. And my hope is as we go through these steps that you might think about choosing one of these. That you say, you know what, I can do that this week. 
Just one of these things. The first one is simply this. Memorize Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. Think about memorizing that verse. So maybe having this verse pop into your head at the first even thought of division will remind you where true unity comes from. Imagine if next time you were, you were tempted to allow your own preferences to outshine God's kingdom, you thought Jesus brought unity and that's the kingdom I'm going to lean into. Would you memorize that verse? Maybe, number two, maybe you'd pray for God to help you bring unity in the midst of division this week. It sounds so simple, but maybe you'd say, you know what, I can do that this week. Every day when I wake up, my prayer is going to be something like, God, help me bring unity into my world today. Just start off by that, getting your head focused on the kingdom of God first. Or maybe you'll say, you know what, I, I'll, I'll commit. There's a reading plan on the Bible app through YouVersion that you can get on your phones. It's a free app. Just search for Bible. It pops up. There's a plan called the Power of Unity. It's a four-day reading plan. That's it. And pretty simple. It's by Tony Evans, and it just focuses on this topic of how we can bring unity to the church and this world. And also, if you're interested, our staff is going through a book right now called Oneness Embraced by Tony Evans. And that book's available in our library if you'd like to check that out and read through it with us as a staff. But friends, imagine if the church once again became the driving force of unity in this world. You know, one of the things I see so often in student ministry in the hearts of a lot of our students is they just want to belong. They want some place to belong. And unfortunately, a lot of things in this world are a lot better at making them feel like they belong than the church is. They're a lot more embracing of people than the church is. But man, Jesus did not die on the cross, overcome sin, and defeat death to watch his followers be overcome by selfishness. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again to show all those who come that we are one body, one church, and we will be the driving force of unity in this world. Imagine if instead of allowing earthly kingdoms and desires to divide us, the church became a source of healing and unity in this world. Jesus Christ already did the heavy lifting for us through his death and resurrection. And now he is calling us to be agents of that hope and unity in this world. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer this morning? God, this morning we come into your presence thankful. We're thankful for the work of Jesus Christ, the, the healing and unity and peace and joy and hope that he brought to this world with him when he took on flesh and walked among us. God, this morning... Help all of us gathered here today to commit to being an agent of your hope and your peace in a world that desperately needs those things this morning. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.